Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Hey, Valentina. Hey, Paula. And hello, everybody. And welcome to another episode of Pretty Mental. So in today's podcast, we sat down and reflected with you guys what the past couple of weeks have been like for us amidst this coronavirus outbreak and some other things. Some life updates. Some life updates. We also dove a little deeper into the generational patterns and healing through ancestral work, this time focusing on our father's side of the family. We had the chance to sit down with my grandma, who has not always been known to be very verbal with her emotions, but this time she got super courageous and honest with us. And we shared what we learned from that and why this conversation has been so pivotal to our own healing journey. And then we also made sure to round that out and expand it to the mental health conversation at large to bring in how repressing emotions and also being highly overactive with emotions can lead us to having dysfunctional relationships. So we also gave you guys a little bit of highlights of what a deeper look into what narcissism is and different ways in which we could be activating narcissistic traits in our own behavior. We covered some pretty valuable information in today's top in today's podcast. And as you listen to it, you're going to understand how it all ties together. So wherever you are, we encourage you to take a deep, deep breath. Allow yourself to get fully grounded in this present moment. Hop in on this conversation with us and press play. So we're going to start today's podcast by reflecting on what we have been going through individually and together in these past couple of weeks. I've been eating a lot of beans. (laughs) Valentina started a new bean diet protocol. So if you guys have ever, you probably haven't because no one has heard of her. Karen Hurd is a lady who has basically been healing a lot of people from everything with Crohn's disease to polycystic ovarian syndrome to high thyroid, diabetes, like everything you can think of. And one of the things that she heals is also acne. So that's why I'm doing it because for some reason my hormones have decided to act up and I've been breaking out so I found Karen Hurd and she's amazing she's we'll link the podcast below I first heard her on Lacey Phillips podcast talking about the importance of soluble fiber and how so much of the American diet lacks soluble fiber 
and one of the biggest. Wasn't she on Shaman Durek's podcast too? Karen Hurd? No. Yeah. No? no. Oh. I mean, not, no. <clears throat> I, no. I thought that's where I saw it. The bean diet? No? Am I confused? Yeah, you're confused. But she basically says that uh, the American diet is lacking soluble fiber and the one food that has the most of all the foods is beans and then psyllium husk powder. I don't know if any of you guys have heard of that. But what why that's so beneficial is because our bile inside of our body is what collects the toxins from the foods we eat, the pollutants in the air, and the toxins go into our bile. Our bile is supposed to attach to something and leave our body through digestion. But what happens is a lot of us don't eat soluble fiber and bile only attaches to soluble fiber. So our bile is getting those toxins. <laughs> in case you guys didn't know, you were tuning in for a nutritional <laughs> consult. <laughs> is this too much? No, keep going. Somebody might benefit. I mean, you know what? This is a really good look into who I am. Hello, guys. I am Valentina. I am a low-key nutritionist. I've been obsessed with this stuff since I was out of the womb. Fun fact, for my 21st birthday, Paula bought me kale. Did I really? Yup. You and Kyle. We got you kale. Y'all, y'all got me fucking kale. Oh, yeah. We didn't know what to get her. And I think I was like, let's just get her some and kale. And at first I was like, this is really like, are you kidding me? And then I was like, wait, this is like, why wouldn't they get me kale? <laughs> <laughs> uh, kale chips. Kale chips. But anyway, so. That sounds like a Kyle idea. I'll, just, I'll put it to make it shorter. It, not really, but. The toxins need to leave your body somehow. And if you're not having soluble fiber, it's going to go back into your body and keep recycling and keep recycling. And the toxins are going to go back into your body. And that affects everything from sleep to hormonal regulations to acne. It can even affect depression. It can affect a whole host of things. So this is actually really relevant because the mind-body health connection is 100% a real thing. So if we're going to talk about mental health, we got to talk about physical health as well. Yeah, it's extremely important. And honestly, one of the reasons why I trust this diet so much is because you essentially you throw out all your supplements and buy like $1 beans. This is the, mo the cheapest thing you could possibly choose. And when you listen to her podcast, if you guys do listen to it, it's, it just it makes sense. It makes so much sense. And it actually, I see that it has been working a little bit. So I'll keep you guys updated on how it goes. And by the way, I'm not just eating beans. I'm literally only just adding them to my diet. On a regular basis. On a regular basis, along with psyllium husk powder. Yeah. So let's talk about <laughs> that was how you... A lot. I'm sure it'll help somebody. I, I'm still thinking of psyllium husk powder. Valentina, Valentina and my brother keep me updated on nutritional diet fads and, and revelations because I'm like the last person to biohacks. look into this stuff. Yeah, biohacks. I'm just like, hmm. Yeah, I just eat kind of simple. But yeah, let's talk about how we have been processing and integrating and making sense of the events of this past week with the whole coronavirus pandemic really feeling like it has reached a tipping point for us here in the United States? I have been, what have I been doing? I've been looking for a lot of good news. I've been actively seeking a lot of good news because I found myself alternating between moments of, especially when this all really first started escalating, 
of panic because I have, as many of us, have never gone through something like this before. So it's a lot is up in the air. And it's really easy to get swept up in what the media has to say because we want to stay informed, right? We Because everything is so uncertain, we want to make sure that we're staying ahead of things, so we're, we want to stay informed. But the news, I mean, like there are so many scary things out there. And there's a really fine balance between staying informed and then like just what is it called like social cutting or whatever when you just like keep going down the black hole of like what's scaring you i don't know i didn't know there was a term for it but i forget what it's called like spiraling into the panic maybe yeah so i've been actively seeking good news and i've been actively luckily my amazing boss nicola and our company rebel and reason we've been pivoting to releasing more information of like sharing resources with people and um showing people how they can donate if they want to help those who are being most affected by this so that's literally what i've been working on so that's been really helping me oh wow yeah yeah so you're all about noticing how much the community is coming together right now um, it's the most amazing thing i've never seen this happen in our community before people banding together how they are right now it's beautiful people are donating supplies and giving things away and giving and donating money and it really is so important to look out for the good news because i so i i met with some clients today um via video conference and it's so true that like if you're just watching exactly what the new the major news outlets are showing you the the things that are predominating in people's mind is that there's a lot of division and racism or prejudice you know um taking place and selfish decisions but if you really take a step back and choose to seek out your own information like Valentina has been having to do you realize like no there's actually we're watching human beings become more aware than maybe ever before I guess maybe since the industrial age um that we are in this together that we are a community yeah there's a few supermarkets around the world there was one in Ireland and one in Australia that they're opening at like 8 a.m to 9 a.m they're only for elderly and for those who have disabilities wow and then there was an uh, I saw a few posts of this where people are leaving notes in um their communities like their apartment complexes and it's saying if you are in the population where your immunity or your immune system is compromised the most by this let me know and I'll go grocery shopping for you I mean it it's so beautiful and there is a there is a lot of scary news that that is out there and that's I don't know I've been having some trouble with that with KJ because he is I'm always like baby look to the light and he's like you got to survive Valentina <laughs> what the hell are you talking about but then he also agrees with like okay we got to ground ourselves and let's see you know let's stay in the light as much as we can but for him I would say it's a little easier to get caught up in Twitter in the news that's trying to scare you because he wants to make sure that he's protecting us. I I get it. But what's the fine line between that? Because we'll have conversations where I'm like, okay, but put the phone away now. And he's like, I like, we got to keep updated. (laughs) 
I think it really is about like what can you control and what can you not? Yeah, but there's a fine line between that because then fear can send someone into a spiral of literally that's why our grocery stores have like no toilet paper and people who actually need toilet paper now don't have it. So if you can control buying a whole bunch of stuff and pre- preparing. And- well, I th- that's why I think also we need to invite a lot of tr- get back to our tribal mentality days. I, I was listening to Russell Brand and he said that he we have actually been disconnected for so long from our from nature. Like we've been disconnecting from nature and that includes our own human nature and if we actually look at our origins and how we have lived for most of human history, which I feel like I say that all the time, is that we lived in tribes of maximum, communities of maximum up to 150 people. So in those kind of communities, people, everybody knew each other. So it wasn't, it, there, there wasn't the anonymity that there seems to be now where you can take action like buy, I don't know, 300 rolls of toilet paper for your own self-interest and it doesn't matter. Like if it's a small community and everybody knows you, then people are going to be like, what the, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like save some for everybody else. But when there's anonymity, people just, we have a tendency to act in our own self-interest more often. So all that to say I think it would be really, really, really important if we can invite tribal thinking back into our consciousness, which means keep in mind that you are part of a tribe and are you acting in such a way that could be limiting resources to like, let's say if it was like your friends and family, like kind of extend our consciousness from a stranger being a stranger to a stranger being somebody in our close circle. How I feel is I've been, you know, we've been getting what we need and I want to make sure not by any means like overdoing it, but I also want to in a way contribute. So getting what I need and then also if there's charities, which there are many, many out there that are helping people who aren't able to get what they need, contribute like five dollars or something to that, you know. That's yeah. how I'm thinking about it. I mean, finding a balance. I think that there's more and more people speaking out against hoarding. I mean, prepare, get stuff for yourself, but don't do it to the extent that, like, there's not going to be enough for everybody else. Yeah. Just try to keep some balance in this. I also think, I mean, for me personally, when I first started hearing about the coronavirus, like, I could make jokes about it, too. I was just, like, trying to find the humor in it. And then last week when the shift happened, I was like, oh, no. Like, this is serious. And now I'm feeling very, very conscious of, like, self-quarantining. Oh, yeah. Paula and I are literally only seeing each other for the sake of pretty mental, y'all. Okay? So we love you. We want to keep doing this work. But really, I told Paula, she was like, oh, I have to go somewhere this week. And I was like, mm. I, may, I may have to go to a meeting. She's right. like, I don't know if I feel safe meeting with you after this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's either pretty mental or it's your meeting. You pick. No, but we've literally, like, I'm I'm going either home or to see Paula. And she's going home or to see me. And I think that just, again. And it's not even for ourselves. 
we're doing this so we are not the link in between spreading it to someone with a more compromised immune system. I don't want to be that vector. Because I know I have a strong immune system. I'm not worried about like if I got this thing that it would kill me or anything like that. I'm worried about being the reason that somebody else gets it. Yeah, same. So I, I that's like my big PSA right now is stay home. Stay home, please. If you can. If you can't and you're, you know, the people working in the front lines of the supermarkets and all that stuff. Man, I think like as a whole global world, we are uh, if we are realizing how important supermarket workers are Mm -hmm. like we have taken that thing for granted. Everything. I just saw a tweet that was like now in the next few weeks, we're really about to see how people are actually going to finally start believing that teachers are underpaid that and then they named a few other things i forgot that mental health is important (laughs) yeah that everybody should listen to pretty mental and i'm like the least alarmist person ever so i feel like when i start taking it seriously it's (laughs) that i mean it's serious and this isn't to spread fear it's just like stay home it's not so that's where the balance is because i'm not we are totally advocating for hope and light and staying grounded and meditating and community and how can we all you know join forces right not going to a state of panic while at the same time taking the necessary precautions to make sure that we're being we're helping to end this as soon as possible I think it's it, that's just the balance right there. It's not saying that like, oh, if you take it all so seriously, you're adding to the panic. I, I would greatly challenge that. I think if you take it really seriously, you're not only protecting yourself, you're protecting other people, you're protecting the healthcare workers, you're making sure that you're not adding to like, you know, the overpopulation in hospitals right now and all things of that nature. So, yeah. But... Within all of that, it's really important to just take everything one day at a time right now. Yeah. And be really mindful of where your awareness is being placed. You need to be really active in where you're placing your awareness. Are you, Shaman Durek, when we were listening to one of his live streams and he was saying, Place your mind on people who are being healed right now, on people who are getting better. Think, See people ge- getting better in your mind's eye. See doctors and nurses healing people and with them them come, themselves coming out of this stronger than ever. See our universe coming out of this stronger than ever. I mean, if you think about this, KJ and I were on a walk last night and, and we were saying, can in this week alone, le- can you imagine how much less air pollution there has been because yeah, of the planes flying in one day in one day and pollution on the streets because people aren't using their cars as much it's wild so we are mother nature is getting to rest he's <laughs> saying we're putting all the humans indoors actually i got a newsletter from a lady named wendy de rosa from the school of intuitive studies and in it she said that this world needs grounding oh she said her spirit guides told her this This world needs grounding, Wendy. Grounding means you all have to sit with yourselves and all the uncomfortable and beautiful feelings that come with being you. The mother is grounding everyone. Out of this, there will be a humbling shift. And I thought that is so funny. Mother Nature is grounding us. Literally. Yeah. I was talking to some clients today and people are worried. Like, how long is this going to last? 
what am I going to do during this time? Like, so on and so forth. And the, what kept coming up for me is we don't know how long it's going to last. We've always thought that we could somehow have control over the universal forces, when in reality we never really did, and that's why we're such an anxious culture. And this is just showing it to our face, like see all that control that you're trying to enforce was never going to be possible anyways. You ne- We never had it. We never had it to begin with. We had this illusion of certainty that the more that we tried to to assert it, the more anxious everybody was becoming. And now it's like, look, now we're being faced with recognizing that like life is literally uncertain. This is no different. This is just more acutely in our faces. You're not going to know when this is going to end. We're not even going to know what the outcome of it all is going to be. But I think a really important question to ask ourselves is, what kind of person do I want to come out of this being? How do I want to emerge out of this? Do I want to emerge as somebody who used this time to gain deeper mindfulness, to gain deeper grounding, to use that mindfulness practice to be able to regulate my emotions better, to be able to open up my the centers of my brain that give me access to compassion for other people because that's what meditation does. Um, Am I going to emerge as that kind of person? Do I want to become better at drawing? Do I want to learn a foreign language? I don't know. What kind of person do I want to emerge out of this as? Or am I going to emerge out of this as a person that like allowed my unwillingness to surrender to the fact that I was never really in control of the universal forces to destroy my psyche? I love that. I think that's a really valuable thing that we should all contemplate. We were talking about this topic on our live stream yesterday on Sunday, March 15th, that we did with TJ. TJ Mangrove. Hot Yogi. Did you guys see me and Paula laugh? I mean, I don't know how you could have missed it if you if we watched this. Listen, this was our first experiment <laughs> with a live stream. And Valentina was taking us. I'm really glad we did it. You know, oh, yeah. We're trying to model courageous behavior over here. <laughs> and we had we've never done a live stream before. In fact, there's something so intimidating about live streams. Can I tell you before this, every time I accidentally would press live stream or almost press live stream on my phone, I like almost had five panic attacks in <laughs> the span of two milliseconds. <laughs> like I'm about to go live. <laughs> so in our effort to model courageous behavior and to also create a, a healing a space for the community during this time, which is definitely a huge intention for us. We definitely want to respond to the call right now to hold these spaces for for you guys and for ourselves we had this live stream and i was in the middle of teaching a breathing exercise which i will post a video on on our instagram so you guys can do whenever and for some reason because this is how valentina sinistera's mind (laughs) mind's mind's work why is that coming out (laughs) how i want it to this is how my mind works. <laughs> I was doing the breathing exercise, and for some reason, I started imagining my mom, at, because it was a kind of complicated. It has some steps in it. I was imagining my mom doing it at home, and I could just hear her with her accent being like, what is this? What is this? <laughs> Valentina, this is so complicated. 
And that's exactly what went through my mind. And I just broke down laughing. In the middle of teaching a, in the middle a grounding of a, breathing exercise. Holding space. <laughs> for a whole crowd and me i had valentina had successfully relaxed me <laughs> and put me in a really receptive state of mind and so as soon as she said i'm just picturing my mom trying to do this my brain was very open to allowing that image through and i got stuck <laughs> on it <laughs> and after that paula paula lost it she started like <laughs> the worst thing is i kept trying to g- keep going and i like oh, really grounded myself and then i could feel you sh- uncontrollably shaking because i was trying to hold it while still breathing and i was like oh my remove yourself i literally made her remove herself in the middle of the live stream i had to go to another room <laughs> she came back but it was fun. You know what? Laughing is an amazing form of healing. That was very on brand for Pretty Mental. We're not here trying to be like, now watch us be these perfect people trying to hold space for you. We're here like we're doing we're in this together. We're walking right alongside you, you know, modeling imperfection <laughs> every step of, of the way. <laughs> every s- imperfection and courage. Here you go. Yeah. We hope you guys join us on our next live stream. (laughs) Maybe some more laughs. Who knows? So before this tipping point of the coronavirus, we luckily went to go visit my grandma, my dad's mom. She's 92 years old. So I don't know if we hadn't. We went at the perfect time. We really did. We really did. Mm -hmm. Because right now, I mean, I wouldn't want to jeopardize i don't health. yeah i just know i'm not supposed to visit her right now no so I'm, thank goodness that we did we went to go visit her to learn more about my dad's side of the family and the family patterns that have been at play on their side and this is kind of going to be an ongoing conversation it's not going to be wrapped up in a pretty little bow because this is a self-exploration journey for us and we went to If you listen to two podcasts ago, we talked about healing our ancestral wounds and we decided that we wanted to take that deeper by speaking to our grandparents and seeing what patterns they picked up, why they picked up and who they picked them up from and the narratives that were going on in their society when they did. We're on a journey to heal ourselves and in order to do that, we need to understand the history that we came from. So last time you guys heard us speaking more about my mom's side of the family and the alcoholism and those things, because they've actually been a lot more open and vocal about the family pattern. So we did, we, we called up my father's uh, mother and asked her to sit with us and take us through, you know, what she noticed and what she recognized that was in our family heritage that she lived through. And patterns that we've picked up, you know, from my dad's side of the family is that they are notoriously silent. (laughs) They don't talk that much. They don't express their emotions. They hold everything in. And no matter what can be going on around them, everything's fine. And it can be a hard thing to deal with if you are like, me, Paula, or my mom, when we are pretty extroverted, except actually, I think I picked up most of the patterns on my dad's side, to be honest. It took me a long time to be able to learn how to express myself. But anyway, we wanted to to kind of 
figure out like why like where is this all coming from and why I I said on the last podcast that I found myself kind of angry with my grandparents and when I said that it was to be honest more geared towards my dad's side of the family because I felt like I just wanted to like I couldn't connect fully with my grandma and I was a bit bitter for any kind of pain that my dad potentially went through because in my mind my grandma was such a cold person and I understood at a bigger level like maybe she just didn't know how to express her emotions better but that was just something that I had to work through and that was our main intention going to talk to her like essentially like why why did you stay so silent yeah like what are the what are the like we I think we understand pretty well what the type of trauma that we are dealing with from the mother's side but we wanted to understand what kind of trauma we're dealing with from the father's side and I I just would like to add a quick like shout out to mom because the way the reason why we've been able to pick up those patterns on my mom's side is because since we were a little girl my mom would tell us like she would very vocal. she would be very vocal about her patterns and you need to break this before it keeps going and she's even we've unlocked more patterns that she's even more receptive to and been like thank you so much like this is healing me too so this isn't like blaming my dad in any way shape or form because we all come from who we come from but I do want to just highlight thank you to my mom for being so open because we have been able to heal and we've been able to pick up on patterns easier because of that yeah so the thing that was surprising in speaking to my grandma which is interesting that we're recording this podcast right after the episode that we had with um brenda from god is gray is that actually catholicism played a huge huge role on the social dynamics of how my dad's side of the family developed Mm mm-hmm We learned that, I mean, the Catholic religion, especially during that time, was very, in Colombia, very dogmatic and very permissive of, like, men being in charge and and that the women's role was to kind of stay quiet and not shake anything up and just be supportive and keep her virginity, like, her highest goal in life. I mean, think about the Virgin Mary, the whole reason that she's idolized is because she's a virgin. She's not Mary from the corner. She's the Virgin Mary. Yeah. My grandma literally said that the two things that she knew she had to do to be a respected and valuable and worthy woman, her life's mission was to keep her virginity until she was married. And then once she was in a family, do whatever she had to do to keep her husband happy and keep the family running and not get in the way. And getting in the way meant voicing your opinions. Mm-hmm. So my grandma had her voice essentially ripped from her. And it wasn't just her. It was she described a culture in which that was pretty pervasive. Um, women didn't really have a voice. I mean, she was telling us. Like, you guys really need to be so grateful for the time that you're living in because you get to work. You get to date multiple men before you decide who you're going to marry. You get to have a voice. You get to have an opinion. She told us that, like, if women 
for example, got married and then chose to divorce, they would be very shunned from the society in Colombia at that time. Like it was like social death. And if a woman got divorced and then repartnered up with someone else, Forget even it. worse. Forget it. Even worse. So basically, it was like the women had to bear the grunt of any dysfunction that the men were bringing into the home. Cause, and they couldn't speak up because they couldn't rattle the floor. And it, it was shamed and it was looked down upon to rattle that floor because you're disturbing you're disturbing the structure of the family. Like, do you really want to bring in like ruffle some feathers? It was very looked down upon to try to do that. So if my grandpa did anything and he did, he was not a saint, like none of us, but if he did anything to hurt my grandma emotionally or whatever, my grandma was not really, she didn't talk. Yeah. And And, she did say that. And I asked her, I was like, did you not, did you just like, not know how or did you were you just trying to keep the family together and she said you know ever since I was a young girl we our voice didn't matter it didn't do anything if anything we were looked down on for trying to have an opinion so I I kind of I just I didn't really know how and then in the rare chances and the rare opportunities that I would start to talk about something he would just find a way to change the subject immediately and she would just be left again or he would say no y punto which means like oh he did yeah oh i forgot I didn't yeah that and that just means like nope and that's final nope period yeah like this conversation's over i decide when it's over and because the whole culture was wired like that you don't really question it because that's kind of like the norm so the women learn to keep their head down stay virgins to make sure that they were of value to a society. So, you know, again, I started saying that the the objectification of women began with religion and especially coming from a Catholic background. That's something that I felt very heavily. Um, so keep your virginity, have kids. You can't stop any pregnancies. This is something big in the calf that was um, pretty relevant in Catholic religion that like birth control was sinful. There's Catholics that still practice that way. Um, And you had to have sex whenever your husband wanted you to, right? So my grandma was literally saying that her mom, was it her mom had like 18 kids? Her grandmother had 18 kids because women had to have every child that was given to them and women could not say no to their husband's sexuality. And their neighbor had 20 kids and their other neighbor had 25 kids. So you women just had to keep popping babies out and allowing these men to get pleasure whenever they wanted to. And and you know it's wild. Like that's literally what you what struggled I with. struggled with growing up. Yeah. And and then what I struggled with was the sexual the objectification of my sexuality. Where like I couldn't just explore my sexuality in the most natural and pure way. It was like, oh no, you have to stay a virgin or you have to be this way or that way if men are going to value you. And on some very deep fundamental level at some point, that's not for me because I realized that men weren't operating from that paradigm, that men were doing whatever they wanted. And I guess as, as a woman in this generation, I started thinking like, what the heck? Like, they, we're not coming at this from the same perspective. So you're telling me I have to stay virginal and pure while you do whatever you want? And get, and get praised for it. Yeah, and get praised for it. And then I get shamed and I'm like I don't want to 
partake in this shaming of my own sexuality anymore. And just listening to my grandma and, and that did not go away overnight. Like it's still something that I work through. Um, I'm way farther along than I was, but it's still, it's, it, it's so interesting. Like, talk, having this conversation with her because you realize that, that these narratives are like wired into our DNA. I'm like, that's wild. I'm literally struggling with the narrative that you lived with, that your grandmother lived with. And I'm not even in that culture anymore, but somehow that information is scripted into my body. Yeah, so it's interesting talking to her and also learning that like a lot of the men on that side of the family had like multiple women. Yes, like it was a norm. It was a norm and you couldn't really question it. You had to just accept it. And if you did question it, we heard from my grandma that the response from the men would kind of just be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. That just is. This is just how it is. Yeah. So so we were like, so what did the women do? And she was just like, I mean, the women just suffered, but they learned to keep their mouth quiet. And I think this was really shocking for my mom coming into that, the culture of that family um, that was so rooted in that Catholicism is that my mom is a very outspoken, vocal person. Just look at our Instagram comments. Just look <laughs> at our Instagram comments if you haven't already caught on. And when she started trying to express her voice in the family, whenever there was conflict or like messed up things were going on she would get shamed into silence and now that I understand the roots of that side of the family it's like her voice scared the shit out of them because they were like whoa 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 whoa. like this is not how things are done things are kept in order by everybody staying quiet like you can't just come in here and start questioning everything yeah to them anyone voicing or expressing anything meant chaos disorder and a disruption of the system that they've been working so hard to keep going and if i sit here and really like think about what that would feel like for my mom imagining her going into (laughs) a family where you have an opinion and people kind of look at you like like you're crazy for having it crazy for having it And, and keep in mind we literally just said that what my grandma said was if any woman voiced their opinion, they would be socially, they would be ostracized. They would be kicked out of the community. And my mom would voice her opinion. And that happened to her a lot when she first went into my dad's family is they would ostracize her. They would literally turn a cheek. They would ignore her. And that's crazy making. It when is. someone is trying to express something, when someone's trying to, communicate as we do as humans and the people that is supposed to be your tribe now and they're literally looking at you and being like just blank stares and shutting you down like why are you crazy why are you why are you saying all this like you're dramatic you're crazy you're making conflict you're creating conflict that creates further conflict that creates you feeling like you are crazy that creates shame in your voice Yeah, so what we basically just described was a family rooted in Catholicism. In that way, it basically created a culture of emotional abuse. And I mean, my if my dad grew up in a family where speaking the truth was so freaking scary. How do you think he's going to feel when my mom started speaking her truth? You know, like and this is where it's it's difficult because 
again, this is not to blame anybody. Like our family has stuck together. Like we have learned so much. We have grown together, but it's like those patterns from my dad's family came right up against my mom's desire to express her truth. And it's taken years to kind of start dismantling that. Yeah, it's not easy. And that's the work that we're doing now, right? And my dad is very interested in learning these patterns as much as he can too. And and like taking part in this conversation because he also doesn't want to keep living that story. Like we've definitely had dialogue with him where he recognizes the way in which it's been detrimental for him. So that's the thing. It's like, it's not just the women. Like when the women are hurting, the men end up hurting too because it's a suppression of their own emotions ends up happening. And men have just as many emotions as women's do. Absolutely. And, it, you know, I don't know why this image just came into my mind is that I remember, you know, my grandma, like, it's so funny. Whenever we talked to her, I would talk to her about any, anything that got a little more than like work is going great. Immediately, she would start folding a napkin or she would find any kind of anything like a, something on the table that she could just start playing around with anything to transmute the energy that was happening into something else. I mean, like my grandma cannot cope with anything above like a three. She (laughs) is doing so much better though. I honestly, I felt like she had so much courage in everything that she told us the other night, because when you take into account what we just described to you growing up in that culture, she literally looked at us the other night. She's like, you know what? She's like, I'm not going to hold anything back. Like, whatever you guys need me to answer, I'm going to answer it. Like, you deserve to know. Yeah, she said, you came here for the truth. Why would I give you less than that? You came all the way here. And it's it's true. I do want to acknowledge that. That meant a lot for us that she was willing to open up so much, given the three-level emotional scale that I just told you she held <laughs> in yeah. the past. Um And we told her, Grandma, we're here because we're on a mission to discover all of our ancestral patterns that we are we are actively trying to dismantle it honestly does help because when I put my own relationship history and my own sexual the my own relationship with my sexuality into that context it starts making a lot more sense so on that note taking this back into the mental health conversation at large this can actually take us right into the dialogue of narcissistic traits because narcissistic traits develop in environments where emotions are suppressed. So when we, a lot of times now in this conversation of narcissism, we think like, oh, it's just that one person that's narcissistic or we point fingers and and think that like we could be excluded from narcissistic behaviors, but In reality, if we just condense down, break down what narcissism is rooted in, it is an inability to tap into our own sensitivity, to tap into our own emotions, and therefore we start moving people around like chess pieces or expecting people to behave in a certain way to make us comfortable because we have no idea how to hold space for ourselves. So in a culture of emotional suppression, those kinds of behaviors become rampant. And it's not, I would say like, it's not the fault of any one individual or 
oh, they became that way because they're a bad person. Again, we have to look at the context in which these personality traits are being bred. So when we look, for example, at the context of our family, what we just explained to you guys, like, yes, in that emotional suppression, in that allowing the men to have so much free reign over how the household was being ran and in in enabling dynamics in which women learned to silence their voice and completely ignore their needs, it starts creating a dynamic of narcissists and victims because all the needs that are being met are for one person and the other person has to suppress everything. So as we take you guys deeper into to make sure that you guys are getting some value out of this, we really want to point out how, like, yes, this might be the root of where narcissism is born, but how can we identify narcissistic traits in our modern relationships? Maybe even things that we might be doing. Are we silencing other people when they express their emotions? Are we afraid of people's emotional expression? Are we afraid of people expressing what their emotional boundary is? Are we trying to quiet them down when they express this? Do we see their expression as a need for conflict? That's a huge one. If you express your emotions to somebody and they tell you that you're creating conflict, that's a narcissistic quality at bay because they don't have a healthy relationship with emotions. These are traits that while you can be a narcissist and have them, you can also just be someone who lives in a, a culture that has developed a very narcissistic society and way of life. And by proxy, you've taken on a lot of these traits because that's where you grew up. So we have to check ourselves. Yeah. So it's where you know? people are means to an end. And also in bringing this up, we intend to empower you guys with knowledge so that you recognize like if somebody tells you that you're being conflictive because you're expressing your feelings, don't believe them. <laughs> you're allowed to express your feelings. Don't internalize that. Start to recognize that that is that person's own repress shame their own inability or difficulty of sitting with their emotions so if they feel threatened by your emotions that says more about them and what they need to work on than you granted now if you're just going on and on and on and just raging at them that's also not a healthy pattern and there is a level of self-absorption in that as well because then we're not taking responsibility for our emotions at all and expecting somebody else to be the full container of our emotions. So neither extreme is going to lead us to healthy boundaries and relationships between men and women, between men and men, between humans and humans. When it comes down to it, Either extreme is always going to, if we find ourselves operating at an extreme of crazy emotional suppression or at an extreme of limitless emotional outpouring, that's an important time to question what's going on because the truth, the healthy set point is usually always somewhere in the middle. 
So how can we bring ourselves back to balance? I think that's where we want to take this conversation. I think in these older societies that were very dogmatic, and I know that's still around, extremes were kind of encouraged. And when we talk about physical health, when we talk about mental health, when we talk about relationship health, this question always comes forth of what is, like, where's the gray area? How can we practice finding that middle ground in our daily lives, in our relationship with others, and in our relationship with ourselves? It takes getting real, real with ourselves and seeing if we're being either explosive with our emotions on a continuous basis or if we are getting really uncomfortable when people when people even just say. Or repressive. Or are we being repressive with ourselves or others? Yeah. So we have come to the end for this podcast. Thank you for listening with us. Thank you for being on this journey with us. We love you guys. Make sure to tune in every other Monday at 8 a.m. EST, 11 p.m. PST. And with that, we just want to say be kind to yourselves and send the world and each other an energetic virtual hug. We love you guys. Bye. Bye.